The reading today is Exodus 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi and Judah, Isaiah, Zebulun and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous and, if war breaks out, will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slaves masters over them to oppress sorry, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labour, and they built Pitom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labour in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labour, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Sifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them people of families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, Every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Thank you so much, Jenny. It's quite a dark story, isn't it, as we begin uh, the book of Exodus. Well, we're doing something pretty special at church this year, actually, I think, um, to be spending time in two of the great books of the Bible. I know, of course, as a pastor, I have to say all books of the Bible are great, uh, but Exodus and Romans, I think, are two of those books that are especially significant. Uh, you might actually remember at the start of our Roman series, Simon talking about how the book of Romans is one of those life-changing books and how it has changed uh, many lives over the centuries. Uh, well, as we start, as we start the book of Exodus, I'm not sure if Exodus is quite so much the story of uh, that, that, that's necessarily life-changing, but what the book of Exodus is especially is world-changing. Uh, the book of Exodus is world-changing. In fact, plenty of people will argue that there is no story, no other piece of writing that has changed and shaped our world as much as the Exodus story. Uh, no piece of literature that's changed our world more than this story that we're going to get to study over the coming weeks. I'm sure there are some counter-arguments to that, but uh, let me give you just some examples of why I actually think that might be true. Uh, 
First, first of all, the book of Exodus uh, is really the core foundational story of the Jewish faith. Um, so the Jews had the whole Old Testament of the Bible, but to the Jews, this story of how they were redeemed and set free from slavery and brought out of Egypt uh, was always first among equals in terms of books of the Bible. This was the book uh, for the Jews. Uh, but much more than that, the Jews are redeemed and they're saved from slavery and then they're brought to Mount Sinai, you might remember, and they're given the law, the Ten Commandments, moral laws about what's right and wrong. And this really has led to that thing that we call uh, Judeo-Christian ethics, our views of ethics and justice that have been right at the heart of the Western world for hundreds of years. The value of human life, respect for one another, our concern for justice. I think if we could imagine a world where the story of the Exodus had never been written, our views on things like that uh, would look very, very different. It's, it's shaped our world massively. And you can add to that as well, uh, the story of these slaves who are redeemed and who find their freedom. This, this story has inspired lots of other people to go and find their freedom. This story has inspired revolutions. Uh, this story, they, the historians say, it was, was right at the heart of inspiring the English Revolution uh, and inspired the American War of Independence. Um, so much so, actually, that the original design for this great seal of America uh, was this one on the left here, a picture of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. That's how much this Exodus story was at the heart of the beginning of the nation of America. And then later on, the Americans, when they were then giving out Bibles to uh, black slaves, the Bibles uh, that they would give to black slaves, they'd actually leave out the story of the Exodus because they didn't want the slaves to be inspired by the, the, the story of freedom. And even more recently, a few years ago, uh, Boris Johnson called on the story of the Exodus uh, as a way of uh, talking about Brexit. Uh, and his desire for freedom. What does he say here? We have blinked, we have balked, we have bottled it completely. It's time for the PM to channel the spirit of Moses in Exodus and say to Pharaoh in Brussels, Brussels, let my people go. There we go, Boris Johnson. Uh, Simon last week, when he was talking about Romans 3, he talked uh, a bit about freedom as well, actually, didn't he? Uh, he talked about freedom. Long weekends here in Australia remind us of the great freedom that we enjoy. And freedom really is right at the core of what we, what we believe uh, in the Western world. Almost, almost, you'd really say, the most important thing about life in modern-day Australia is our freedoms, right? That's, it's so central to what we think and how we live. We want to be able to do what we want to do. We want to be able to follow our dreams. We want to make sure we've got our rights. We want our right to take time off work. We want our right to protest. We want our right to be paid fairly. Uh, we want our freedom to do what we want to do and live how we want to live. This is, this is big, isn't it? Now, this is big for, for us, it's big for our family and our, our, our neighbours. We care about freedom. And yet I wonder if we realise that, if we trace those ideas back, the book of Exodus is really where those values around freedom began, with this story of God's people in slavery, with a God who rescues them, and with a God who sets them free. Oh, what a special thing to get to study together, this story that's impacted our world in so many ways. And as we journey with these Israelites over the coming weeks, as we join this journey from slavery to redemption to the Red Sea and out to freedom, well, Exodus is going to help us think about what real freedom actually looks like, what it looks like to be saved and set free by God. Uh, and, and this, by the way, is, is really timely for us because we have been in those first three chapters of Romans for the last six weeks. We've heard about our slavery. We've heard about not our physical slavery, but our spiritual slavery to sin. 
Oh, we're gonna we're gonna come back and finish the story of Romans later in the year and hear of God's rescue of us from our slavery to sin. But in Exodus, in the meantime, we're gonna see a different picture of this same idea. We're gonna see a different picture of God's rescue. And from our time in Romans, we're probably feeling the need for rescue. We're kind of we've been made very aware of our lack of ability to save ourselves and set ourselves free from sin. As we step into the book of Exodus, we join a people who are just like that, who are really in desperate need of God's help, of God's rescue. And these first couple of chapters of the book of Exodus especially are all about this idea, this longing for rescue, this longing for freedom. Uh, I wonder if you know that feeling of longing for freedom. Uh, We, of course, do live in a world that values freedom very highly and we have our rights and we have our freedoms, which is good, but um, I still think a lot of the time we, uh, this does actually become a little bit of a pipe dream. We, we kind of have freedom in theory and we, we do have rights, but lots of us still feel trapped. Perhaps we just want to live a certain way and we just can't seem to do it. Perhaps we feel stuck in dead-end jobs we wish we weren't in, uh, working for a boss who doesn't respect us. Um, that's not a cry for help with Simon being away this week, by the way. He's a great boss. Um, <laughs> We feel the daily grind, we've, we've got to work hard, interest rates are on the up again, we've got bills to pay. Uh, we don't actually have as much freedom as we um, sometimes wish we did. Uh, we might feel like our dreams are all behind us and we've got not much to look forward to. Um, we might even be feel trapped by things like poor health uh, and things like that as well. There are lots of reasons why we might know that feeling of longing for freedom. Uh, freedom is so important to our world and yet often real freedom is hard to grasp hold of. Well, Exodus... Today and over the next few weeks is going to show us what real freedom really is uh, and it's going to show us how to find this freedom and if uh, we are feeling this longing for freedom then Exodus is the book for us Um, and and interestingly actually Exodus is going to show us that real freedom is a bit different to what our world might think it is. Freedom isn't just get out of Egypt and go and do whatever you like uh, because in the book of Exodus actually it's freedom is coming out of Egypt and then coming to belong to the holy God who made us and and being part of his beloved people. That is what Exodus's picture of freedom is. That's what we're going to see over the coming weeks and months. Uh, So let's begin with this chapter that Jenny's read out for us, chapter 1. It would be great to have Exodus chapter 1 open in front of you on a a phone or in your Bible if uh, if you've got it with with you. Um, This this story of Israel in slavery. Um, I've got four questions for us to ask this morning as we try and get our heads around what's going on in Exodus chapter 1. Uh, here's my four questions. Uh, question 1, what's gone wrong? Question 2, are there any signs of hope? Uh, question 3, where's God in this? And question 4, what's the significance for us? Um, so today we're just going to step through and ask these questions one by one, uh, starting with what's gone wrong. Uh, well, we should start by recognising that Exodus is uh, it's, its own story, but it is also a sequel. Uh, Exodus, of course, is a continuation of the story that's come on from Genesis. Uh, we finished looking at Genesis last year, for those who are with us. And as we start off, there are lots of links to Genesis. Genesis finished with that story of Joseph and his brothers. Uh, they came to Egypt. The first few verses of Exodus give us that list of these brothers and tell us how many uh, Israelites were in Egypt. Uh, then verses 6 and 7 are these transition verses. Time's passing. Uh, here, here it says in verse 6, uh, Joseph and all, his, all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. I wonder if you know the book of Genesis. Uh, do your ears prick up a little bit as we start to read what's going on here? This is very Genesis language, isn't it? Uh, let's just bring up a few places where Genesis uh, talks about 
this sort of thing. So right back in Genesis uh, 1, 28, uh, it, say, it says this, uh, right back to the creation story, God has told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth. Uh, very similar to what's going on now at the start of uh, Exodus 1, isn't it? And then later on in Genesis, God makes promises to Abraham. He promises Abraham blessing and land, uh, but he also promises Abraham uh, that his descendants will cover the earth. Like, like here, in, here in Genesis 13, 16, it says Abraham's descendants will be like dust. Well, you might remember in Genesis 15, God says to Abraham that his descendants will be like the stars of the sky. Uh, what we're seeing as the book of Exodus begins is that God's promises to Abraham are being fulfilled. At least particularly that promise of descendants. The Israelites are multiplying. They're now a great, fa- not just a family, they're now a great nation. And we, st- we still haven't necessarily seen God's promises for Israel to uh, be blessed and to be a blessing to others. And we, they're, not, they're not in their promised land yet. Uh, so there is still lots more to come, but uh, they're, they're growing. You know, we're seeing God being faithful to his people. Uh, but now in verse 8, that's, this is where things start to turn. Uh, verse 8, a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. Back at the end of, Ex- uh, back at the end of Genesis, uh, Israel had been honoured guests of the Egyptians, through Joseph, they'd, they'd saved the Egyptians from famines, they, famine. They'd made Pharaoh rich, and Pharaoh had given them the very best of the land, and he'd set them up for success. But now we're seeing that things are changing. Things are changing so quickly, aren't they? A new king who doesn't remember Joseph is in power. And now, suddenly, being an Israelite in Egypt is being one of the enemy, being one of the bad guys. Things, things can change quickly like this, can't they? I know every Sunday before church, I head into um, On the Run to pick up milk for our coffee cart. I'm pretty sure a year ago I paid $8 for 8 litres of milk every Sunday and then pretty quickly it was 9 and then it was 11 and uh, these days now we buy 10 litres of milk every Sunday and I pay $16 every Sunday for milk and uh, for a while out there it's like every single, every single week I went in the price had just gone up by another 50 cents. Uh, things do sometimes change quickly. Or we might think a bit more seriously about the changing face of being a Christian in Australia. I know for my grandparents say, uh, when they were younger, to be a Christian was to be one of the normal ones. Uh, now we're often seen as a bit weird, or even like these Israelites, perhaps we're seen as a threat. Things can change quickly. And this new Pharaoh is worried about the Israelites, and so he decides to take action. First, he tries enslaving the people, hoping that that will slow their growth. But ironically enough, as verse 12 says, the more he oppresses the Israelites, the more they grow. And so Pharaoh escalates things even further. He gets the midwives to kill the Hebrew boys when they're born. But again, it's just like pouring petrol on a fire to try and put it out. The more he oppresses the people, the more they grow. Verse 20, they increase and become even more numerous. And then the final escalation of chapter 1. Well, nothing else is working, so Pharaoh takes even more drastic action. Uh, Verse 22, right at the end actually, then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. It's a pretty shocking account, isn't it? This awful story of murder and genocide. Um, and already, we should say, I think it's fascinating to notice, already we can see how countercultural Exodus is in a book, uh, because already Exodus is painting this oppression, which 
oppression was pretty normal in the ancient world. Oppression was, was not something out of the ordinary. Um, but Exodus already is painting this oppression as an evil thing. Exodus is already showing us that, no, 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 this is not right. People have rights. People have freedoms. They shouldn't be enslaved. They shouldn't be oppressed. Already you can see what an amazing countercultural revolutionary book the book of Exodus is. Now, question number two, we've seen what's gone wrong. Question number two, are there any signs of hope? It's a pretty bleak passage, as we've said, but are there hints here of what's to come? Are there hints of hope in the story? And I think the answer to this is yes, especially there's one big hint of hope, uh, and for me, it's in the character of these Hebrew midwives. Uh, Let's particularly notice these Hebrew midwives. Verse 15, Pharaoh's trying to stop these Hebrew people from growing. And it's just not working, so his second step, verse 15, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Puah, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives are told to be part of this oppression. Their orders are to be part of this downward spiral of things getting worse and worse and worse for the Israelites. But instead, instead of joining in with the impression, these women take a stand for good. They take a stand for life. Verse 17, we've already seen it in the kids' talk. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had been told to do. They let the boys live. I just think these midwives, as as we said in the kids' talk, I think they're heroes. I wonder how many lives these midwives saved. It's a great good that they did. Now, some of us might be wondering when we talk about these midwives about what they do next, uh, Pharaoh calls the midwives in and asks them, you know, what's going on? I haven't seen many dead babies. What's happening? Um, and the midwives tell a bit of a cheeky lie. They say to Pharaoh, the Hebrew women are more vigorous. They just push the kids out before we even get there. We can't do anything about it. Um, I, some people argue that it's a half-truth. Um, even if it is, it's certainly deceptive. Uh, and some will bring this passage up and talk about those sort of philosophical questions of whether sometimes it's okay to lie and whether lying under the right circumstances is a good thing. Um, You might know there's that sort of classic uh, philosophical question which they take back to Nazi Germany and they talk about whether it was the right thing to protect a Jew and to lie to save a Jew um, who might be hiding in your basement. And look, the answer of Exodus here is that it seems to be yes. You know, it seems to be okay in this sort of situation to lie, to deceive uh, for the sake of protecting life. I think... This, this is, that's what it's about. It's about protecting the vulnerable. It's about stopping a terrible evil. And I think, yes, this is, of course, a good thing in these sorts of extreme situations. Of course, it's a very different category to lying uh, work to protect yourself or um, lying to get ahead. Of course, Christians should have integrity. But here, uh, the midwives protect these children. They save lives, and we can see that they're celebrated for it. God's, God's pleased with the midwives, it says. He gives them families as a reward um, for what they've done. Uh, the book of Exodus even gives us the names of these midwives, Shipra and Puah, just, just so I think that we'll remember the names of these heroes uh, thousands of years later. It's actually, I think it's kind of funny actually because um, you might know that the Egyptian pharaohs always had this obsession with being remembered and everyone knowing who they were and they build their tombs and they build their pyramids and whatever it took so that their names would be remembered through the centuries. Uh, but here in Exodus, you'll notice that the book of Exodus does not bother to give us the name of Pharaoh, uh, but instead it, we remember the names of these two humble midwives. Uh, it's a little bit of a cop this pharaoh kind of moment, I think. Um, but they, these midwives, they do give us a hint of hope, a hint of hope as well about what's going to come, a bit of hope about uh, what's going to happen in the rest of the story. We are going to see 
Pharaoh taken down by God and his people. Uh, So what about then our third question as we talk about God? What about this question of where is God in this? Uh, Because we've seen a little bit of hope with these midwives, but this is still a story of things going pretty badly, isn't it? Slavery and genocide and just terrible treatment. Um, I I think this question of where's God in this is a good question to ask. We might ask, you know, come on God, aren't these meant to be your people? Why aren't you stepping in? Why Why aren't you doing something about this? Um, and that actually is a pretty relevant question. It might be the sort of question that we ask ourselves sometimes as well when we're feeling like things aren't going our way. Uh, and the answer to this question really is that God in Exodus 1, I have to say, he's kind of not there. I know that sounds kind of blasphemous, but and of course God is working behind the scenes. We've already seen that. His promises are being fulfilled. Um, and even as Pharaoh oppresses the people, God's people are still growing and growing in number. Um, but really in the story, God is very much being pushed to the backgrounds. Um, I think this is a deliberate uh, part of the way that Exodus is, is being written. Exodus is setting us up, making us long for God to come and act to save his people, making us long for rescue, making us really feel his absence and long for God to come and step in. And as we get to the end of chapter 2 next week, we are going to see a big turning point as God decides to come and do something about this evil. Um, it's a big turning point, and then especially chapter 3, we get the burning bush, and we really get this amazing moment of God showing up and his uh, desire to come and act in his holiness. Um, so there is this big turning point to come. But here in chapter 1, God really is only there in the background. He's really only there behind the scenes, except God does get three brief mentions in the story. God does get three brief mentions in the story, and they're all in the same context. So I wonder if you notice uh, the mentions of God in Exodus chapter 1, because I think these three brief mentions of God actually do give us the clue to try and work out what this whole chapter um, is about. So the three mentions of, of, of God in verse 17, the midwives didn't do what the king of Egypt told them to do because they feared God. So there's number one, first mention of God. And then verse 20, God was kind to the midwives because, verse 21, they feared God. Only three mentions of God in the whole chapter and they're all to do with these midwives who feared God. They did what they did because they feared God. Now, what does it mean that the midwives feared God? What does it mean to fear God? Does that mean being scared of God? Well, I think that's not actually too far off, um, but I think the sense really is more of uh, being aware of how big God is, being aware of God's power. We've already we heard a little bit about that in big days, didn't we? Being aware that he's the one who made this world and he can rescue or destroy us uh, with even just the blink of an eye. Um, we, did, we did hear about some of the rain and flooding already this morning. Um, I don't know if you woke up for the lightning storm on Wednesday uh, Wednesday morning. We had kids coming into our bed and trying to hide from the, the thunder and the lightning. Uh, but looking, looking up at the storm and the rolling thunder and the noise, and it, it does give you that sense of awe, doesn't it? Wow. Even if you're not so much scared, it's still that amazement of just how powerful a lightning storm is. And if the lightning storm is powerful, well, think of the God who... And you can stop a lightning storm with just a word. I think fear of God is a little bit like that feeling of awe when you look up at the big storm, only uh, even more so. And so these midwives, they feared God. They were aware of God's power. They had a sense of how awesome this God is. And that means, well, when they weighed up their decision, well, the, the question of what Pharaoh might do to them Well, that wasn't such a big deal compared to the question of what God says and compared with what God could do to them. Their fear uh, was was of God. 
And so let's think about the logic of what then Exodus 1 is trying to teach us. The book of Exodus is a book that's uh, all about freedom and finding the freedom that comes from serving and belonging to the holy God. And, and one of the weird things that we might kind of say about that is that we might ask, well, how, how can serving God be, if, be freedom? How can that actually be freedom? Uh, but but notice, notice what we've seen in our story today. Bring it back to chapter 1. Um, let's, let's notice where real freedom is because if we look at this story of these slaves and of Pharaoh and if we look at this story and try and, try and think, well, in this story, where is freedom? Who's free in this story? Because we see the people of Israel, well, they're in slavery, they're not free. The Egyptians are actually not free either. They're slaves to fear. They're, they're really terrified of these Israelites and what the Israelites might do. Pharaoh, notice, notice that Pharaoh is a slave to fear. He's, he seems terrified of the Israelites. He's just so worried that they're going to fight against him. He's not free. It, it doesn't even seem like he really wants to commit genocide. He's just, he's just scared. But the midwives, you might say they're the only free ones in the passage. They're not afraid of people. They have fear of God. And so in the whole passage, the only ones who can choose life, the only ones who are not slaves to sin and fear are the midwives. They can choose to do the right thing because they, their fear is in the right place. They, they fear God. They're, they're concerned with the Creator. Everyone else is afraid of people. Everyone else is slaves to fear. But the midwives, they fear God. And so they are actually, in a way, free. Even in the middle of hard oppression, they can choose to live for what's good. They can choose the way of life. Now, God might be backgrounded in the story, but chapter 1 is already showing us the big point of Exodus, that if we want to find freedom, we find it in serving Him, in worshipping Him, in having a right and proper fear of Him. Well, let's bring it home then. An interesting story. Uh, we've asked those first three questions, but let's, uh, let's ask this last one as well, because we don't just want to study the book of Exodus for the sake of hearing an interesting story. What is the significance in all of this for us. Uh, there are lots of things in this story of slavery and genocide and uh, these, the, the murder of these innocent children. There are lots of things that Christians have taken away from this story over the, over the years, over the centuries. Uh, one of the things that Christians often look to and have looked to over the past few decades is uh, that people will look at these midwives who stand up for the sake of these little babies and stand up for life and they even trick Pharaoh to protect these babies and Christians will um, take this chapter and they'll think about the topic of abortion um, and this will be a passage that Christians use to talk about the value of life and the value of being pro-life. I do have to say, I, I, I do think you can see that here, the midwives do, do choose life and the value of life um, is upheld in the story but um, I do think in this passage there are lots of things like that that you kind of could get in as, as sort of interesting things that you could um, jump into and, and notice. Um, I think you could also look at the way the Egyptians are treating the foreigners of, of Israel and we could ask, well, how do, we, how do we treat the foreigners among us? You know, how do we treat those who have come to Australia um, and made their homes here? Are we, are we hospitable and welcoming or are we just afraid of the threat uh, that foreigners might bring to us, uh, like the Egyptians? Um, so I think there are a few things like that, which I think are, are, are real things to talk about and I think are interesting things to take away from this passage. But um, what I do always try to do as a preacher is I, I really do want to try and take us to what I think the thrust of the passage is, what the, what the big point of the passage is. And I think the thrust of this passage is a bit deeper than those things, um, as, I, as I hope I've kind of led you to. I think this story is asking us a bigger question, and that is whether we fear God, whether we fear the Creator, and whether we know the freedom that comes from living for the Holy God. 
I think that's what Exodus, is, Exodus 1 is asking us um, because actually I think it's setting us up for the rest of the book to come. It's pointing us to these Israelites who are going to be set free and are going to find freedom in being God's people. And it's asking us, well, do, you, do we fear God? Do we know the freedom that comes from following and fearing the holy God? And so for us, we're here in 2023. It's a long time after the story of Exodus, a uh, long way away as well. We're on the other side of the world in Australia. Um, but let's ask this question then. Who do we fear? Who do you fear? Are you more afraid of other people than you are of God? We have Pharaoh. He was afraid of people. We have the Egyptians. They're afraid of the people. Uh, but these midwives, they had fear of God. And we've seen that their fear of God led to freedom. So who do we fear? One of the interesting things about this is there's nowhere to hide with this. Who we fear is always going to show up in our actions. Uh, These midwives, they had a pretty simple yes or no choice. They could either kill these babies or they could save the babies. They had two choices and they had two fears. I'm sure they were afraid of Pharaoh. I'm sure they were pretty terrified of what Pharaoh might do if he found out about their disobedience. But at the end of the day, these midwives were not so afraid of Pharaoh as they were of God. They cared more about God and what he thought than they cared about what Pharaoh thought. And how, how do we know that? How do we know that? Well, the proof's in the pudding, isn't it? We can see what they decided to do. They saved the babies. We can see where their fear was. Uh, we can see that that drove them towards the decision that they made. Our actions prove whether we care, about, or care more about what God thinks or whether we care more about what people think. Um, I know I certainly find this question convicting. I, I know that if I'm doing some work, say, and I know that you know, maybe others are going to be interested in what I'm doing, and so I know that kind of my work's going to be seen by others, and so I know that if, you know, how, how, how well I work is going to be seen by other people, and so I better work hard so that they can see that I'm doing a good job. Um, I know in those situations, I'm more likely to work hard and do a good job. Say I'm writing a sermon. I, I know that everyone's going to see what I'm uh, going to say, and so I work hard because I, uh, I want others to see that I'm doing a good job. But um, if it's something that no one's really going to see and no one's ever going to really see if I do that task well or not, even something like how I prioritise prayer in my private life, um, am I sometimes likely to take some shortcuts? I know that I am sometimes. And that makes me think, am I too motivated by what others think? Why am I more worried about how my actions will look to God than, than how worried I am by how my actions will look to others? But perhaps to flip it around into the positive as well, I think it's true that when I'm remembering that it's God who I'm serving, I do actually think that I do feel that freedom. I do think this is freeing. I actually think there is a great freedom in, in, in knowing that it doesn't matter so much that uh, you might not look quite so good in front of others because actually you're not really so worried about what others think. I'm living for God. It is freeing, I think, to know that, uh, to know that God is the one that you fear and God is the one that you're living for. And I think that can be freeing in all sorts of things. Um, for, for parents, if we're parenting and we're not so concerned about how others may or may not judge us as parents, but we're just being motivated and seeking to honour God, I think that's freeing. Um, I think that's encouraging. I think, say, if we're just doing something really normal, like having coffee with our friends or neighbours who aren't Christians and um, perhaps are a bit uncomfortable talking about faith in those sorts of situations, but then if we remember that what we really care about is what God thinks, well, I think that's freeing because... It might actually just help us say, well, I don't actually really matter at the end of the day what this person thinks of me. And so, you know, I I can take that step. I can bring up Jesus in this conversation and see where that leads. You you could even this week, rather than talking about the news or the weather, when you're having coffee with someone this week, you could say, well, you know, on the weekend, we're we're, we're looking at the book of Exodus at church. You know, I never realised how much the book of Exodus has affected our world. Do you know the story of the Exodus? Wouldn't that be an interesting way to get into conversation 
about God's word with someone. Another example, if we're at the office all week and we might be feeling that feeling of feeling trapped by the daily grind. And, uh, but if we're mostly concerned with what God thinks, well, it is, it is freeing. It's freeing because we're not so worried about how our work looks like to, to other people. We're not so worried about maybe even sticking our neck out from time to time. Um, we might not even be so worried about speaking up for Jesus in the office because we know that actually uh, it, it's God who we, who we care about. It's what he thinks that we care about. Uh, perhaps we might even take a risk and decide to, to quit our job and go and do something different because uh, we think that will help us serve Jesus better. And sometimes this stuff is scary. Freedom for the Israelites, of course, was a scary thing. Yeah, they did get set free from Egypt, but they didn't straight away go to this beautiful land of milk and honey. Actually, they got put out into a desert. It's not necessarily easy being one of God's people. Sometimes being free means we actually um, go somewhere where we're not sure about. Um, but we do it because we're set free for the one Uh, to live for the one who made us. Uh, We know that he's with us. And actually, sometimes this can just help us to relax a little bit because we know that God's in charge. We know we're living for him and we can just enjoy his good gifts knowing that really nothing that anyone else can do to us really matters all that much. So who do you fear? Do you fear God? Or do you know the freedom that comes uh, from living for God? Or are you more concerned with what other people think? I think that's a question for us to think about during the week ahead. And if you're like me and you're thinking, well, yes and no, I do fear God, but it's not always easy and uh, it's it's always pretty easy to be aware of what other people think of me. Well, um, a couple of suggestions as we finish. Um, I think it's really valuable to be here regularly on Sundays for church um, because in the world that we live in, we are told again and again and again all through the week and all the different messaging that we hear we are encouraged to think about how we're impressing others and how we're getting ahead and how we're being successful Um, we're actually encouraged all the time to live with fear of other people and so we need to be a church regularly hearing from god because otherwise we're just going to start believing the lie that it's what other people think of us that really matters the most but I think the other suggestion I would make uh, uh, just as we finish is uh, we, we, we should look to Jesus. Um, it's worth remembering as we, as we think about Jesus that he knew what it was like to be in scary situations where it would be easy to uh, be afraid of what others are going to do or what others are going to think. Um, he even as a child had to escape an evil king's attempt at slaughtering innocent children. Uh, very much a, an Exodus parallel. And you might remember that Jesus talked about fear. Uh, he says this in Matthew 10. He says, Do not be afraid of those that can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Don't be afraid of other people. Rather, fear the one who can destroy both body and soul. Jesus says to fear God. But what Jesus also reminds us of is that although we should be aware of God's might and power and awesomeness, and that should stoke this great awe and fear in us of God, Jesus also reveals most clearly of all God's love and God's compassion and God's grace. Uh, In Jesus, we see that the all-powerful God loves us so much that he would actually pour his wrath out on Jesus rather than on us so that he could set us free from slavery to sin by sending us his spirit. Jesus reminds us that the holy and mighty God, who is to be feared, loves us. And that in fearing him and serving him and belonging to him through Jesus, well, actually, we do have real freedom. Let's finish there. Next week, we're going to meet Moses and find out who the real hero of the Exodus story is. For now, I'm going to pray and then we can respond in song. Uh, So let me pray. 
Father God, we come to you today very aware that you are the mighty and powerful holy God. We've heard this story of awful slavery. We might be reminded of the hurts that we're going through. We might be reminded of how we're feeling trapped maybe by our own sin. Uh, Maybe we're being reminded of the things that life's throwing at us at the moment. Uh, Thank you that as we come to you, as we trust in you, that we can know that we are free in Jesus to belong to you and love you and serve you. Thank you that you're the good God who loves us and that you call us your children. In Jesus' name, amen.